Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. It is a joyful sound, a great thing to enter God's assembly and sing with his people. We come before a holy God and we confess our sins to him. God's word calls us to confess our sins each week. Hebrews 13 verse 17 this day as we ordain elders into this assembly. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. Thus far the reading of God's word. All of us tend to buck against authority in one way or another. This verse is so foreign to us. No one should rule over us, we assume, even though the Bible assumes that it is true. Now, it is true, those in authority, parents or elders or civil office holders, they need to use that responsibility to serve others, not to serve themselves. But those under authority need to keep their focus elsewhere. As Americans, we tend to focus on we the people, keeping our representatives accountable to us. And I don't say that as wrong, but it is not the focus of Scripture. We should see the loving direction of Jesus Christ when our parents guide us, when a pastor decides to preach on that book of the Bible next, or when an elder starts up a conversation with you. This is the Lord Jesus guiding in, the, in his design. All of us want to, uh, we tend to want to wield authority rather than benefit from being under authority. The pastor likes declaring from the pulpit, but not necessarily accountability to his elders or to the presbytery. The child uh, wants to gr be grown up and decide for himself. Parents are fine telling their children what to do, but sometimes are less open to counsel from a friend or a teacher challenging something they are doing as a parent. The young man wants to be a father more than he wants to be fathered. He wants to lead a wife before he follows Lady Wisdom. So let us be quick to listen and slow to speak, learning from our elders, from our forefathers in the faith, before we spout off or reach for authority for ourselves. marks the day where we ordain two men to serve fully in that capacity. So I thought it would be good to pick out a passage and a sermon topic that would exhort both these two men and the rest of us in our respective roles in the church. I believe these men are ready, or I believe they're as ready as they can expect it to be. Nobody's truly ready for what they don't know and have never experienced. Uh, there may be good days and bad days ahead for this church and for them. Unexpected twists and turns, as it were. But God has made it plain, I believe, that these men are called to serve. So why the sermon title, if you looked in your notes, Resist the Devil? Seems like an unrelated topic. But Peter doesn't think so. Here's a question. 
What is the, what is the connection between resisting Satan and ordaining elders? Peter makes that connection in verse 8 for us when he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. The apostle, the man that was hand-selected by our Lord Jesus himself, has some instructions for us in this epistle. He desires us to navigate the sufferings, temptations, dangers of this world in a certain way. He desires we resist the great enemy of our souls in a certain way. And each of us has a role to play. Elders, congregants, young, old, we all have a role to play. And before I begin really digging into this passage, let me remind you I, that Scripture doesn't define the church as an organization. It, it uses different imagery, that of an organism, a body, a living, breathing being, the body of Jesus, in other words. So together, we're individual members in a larger body that itself is a living testament to the world around us. We're a letter from God the Father to the world, in other words, a living epistle to the generation and the time and the city in which we live. So let's dig into 1 Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter refers to elders. The Greek word there is presbyteros. And that word has a lot of shades of meaning in the New Testament. He isn't just speaking to old people, although that could be a meaning of that word, older people, older men. If you do a, um, a word study through the New Testament, you'll find that this word appears more than 60 times, and it takes on a metamorphosis throughout the, throughout the New Testament in the Gospels, it's one way, and as you go through the epistles and the book of Acts and on into Revelation, it takes on new shades of meaning. The word matures and grows, in other words. And it seems like Peter uses that word differently in this verse twice. I exhort the elders among you, being an elder myself. He's using the word talking about himself, a presbyteros, multi-layered meaning there. He's an apostle. He is an old man at this point. And he's saying, I exhort the elders among you, the presbyteros among you. And he's speaking about the leaders and the wise, aged men that are leading the churches that he's writing to. Many shades of meaning there. Peter calls himself a presbyteros, and he's exhorting the presbyteros in all the dispersed churches. So here's a quick, real, real quick word study. In the Gospels, almost always, except for maybe one or two exceptions, the word elder, presbyteros, is always connected with chief priests. So the chief priests and the elders came and accused Jesus, or came and stood against Jesus. Chief priests and elders is almost always connected in all the gospel appearances of this word. And then as you move into Acts, it's used the same way in the early half of Acts, but then in Acts 15, at the Jerusalem Council, the word takes on a little bit of a new meaning in that Paul and other people come together in Jerusalem to take counsel about Paul's ministry, and he, Paul says, I'm going to go up to the elders at Jerusalem, referring to the apostles, 
that were still alive. I think James had died at this point, had been martyred at this point. But the other, the leading men in Jerusalem. And then in the later chapters of Acts and in the epistles, the word starts taking on other shades of meaning as an, ex, and a, and a, um, excuse me, a respected older ruler in the church. James tells us to call the presbyteros to us to pray for us. In James 5, call the elders of the church. If you're sick, call the elders of the church. Call the, call the presbyteros of the church to pray for you and lay hands on you and anoint you with oil. And the prayer of, sick shall, the, prayer of the sick shall, um, the prayer of faith will raise up the sick, James says. In the letters of John, John calls himself the elder to the elect lady in John 2, or 2 John. And in the other uh, letters of John, he, calls, he refers to himself as the elder. And then finally, when we get to the end of the New Testament, the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the word elder is exclusively meant or used with those 24 elders who are seated around the throne and the glory of Christ is amongst them and they're casting down their crowns and they're, and they're standing up and saying things and speaking throughout the whole book. And that is somehow an image, I believe, of 24, what is that? How do you get to 24? Well, you have the 12 tribes of Israel, the old meaning of elder, the patriarchs, and you have the 12 apostles coming together in the new covenant age, and you have these 24 elders, presbyteros, divine counsel in heaven, in the heavenlies. So the word takes on these, this path. It matures as we go through the Bible. Peter says to you elders... Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So an elder, a presbyteros, is commanded to shepherd the flock. I think probably the shepherd-sheep metaphor is the most important metaphor in the entire Bible. I think so. I think I could defend that. Because... Jesus is our shepherd, John 15, our chief shepherd, our, our arch poimen is the Greek word there. Peter's talking to not the arch poimen, he's talking to the sheep, the shepherds among us, the poimen among the churches. What does a shepherd do? Feeds the sheep, watches over them, is on alert for danger to the sheep. Have wisdom and foresight to see where the younger sheep may not have experience or not have the knowledge or wisdom and help them to avoid catastrophe. But as you're doing this, shepherds, Peter says, check your attitude. Exercise oversight. Rule well. You are a ruler. But don't do it under compulsion. Do it willingly, as God would have you. And don't do it for shameful gain. You're not in it for the money, in other words. Although you are a laborer and you are worthy of your hire, that's true from Scripture, depending on your vocation in life and your state in life and, and your status in the church as a pastor or as an elder. The King James Version is really good here. It says, instead of saying not for shameful gain, it says not for filthy lucre. That's, you can get your teeth into that phrase. So Tim and Joe, 
Hopefully you're not in this for the filthy lucre sake. I doubt you are, or else I wouldn't have nominated you guys. Remember what Jethro also told Moses. Remember when Moses was having trouble? In a different point than what Pastor Steve read in Numbers. I think it's earlier in Exodus. Moses is, is outnumbered. He's, he's, all the people are coming to him as the elder of Israel, as the judge of Israel, and it's just too much for him. And his father-in-law comes and says, you're going to wear yourself out, Moses. Here's what you need to do. And this is from Exodus 18. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Jethro was a wise man, and he knew that those men who were greedy for filthy lucre, who, who loved bribes, would not make good judges. It's the same in our day and age. The worst thing that can happen in the courts, and I'm saying this as an employee of the court now, the worst thing that can happen is you have a judge that you're subject to in a court case who's taking a bribe from your adversary. You're not going to get justice. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. God wants, Peter wants the elders to lead by godly example, not by and the word domineering there is a weird Greek word, katakurio, to lord over, to dominate, to lord against, to control. I think the idea here with Peter is a domineering leader is an effective leader, and a non-domineering leader is an effective leader too. Both methods work, or can work, but he doesn't want you to do one. He wants you to do the other. Jesus said... I came to serve and not be served. He also said, you call me Lord and rightly so, for so I am. The leaders among you are true leaders. The rulers among you are true rulers and judges. Treat them as such. But you judges, don't take that to your head and then domineer people, dominate people. Take dominion, don't dominate. God holds the elders to a very high standard. How much more then should we, who are under the elders as congregants, and who have smaller spheres of eldering, or presbyteros, avoid this same thing, these same attitudes? Husbands don't dominate your wives, in other words. Mothers don't dominate your children. Don't lord over them. Children don't dominate your friends or your siblings. Employers, don't dominate your employees, etc., etc. Apply that all the way to the edges. Remember the sons of Eli. What kind of judges were they? I believe Samuel says, sons of Belial, worthless men. That's what the Bible calls them. You can read 1 Samuel this afternoon. In other words, you elders, Joe, Tim, feed the sheep. Don't eat the sheep. Mutton is off your menu from now on. Make their souls fat. Don't fatten yourselves on their souls. Be a good poyman, a good shepherd, so that when the chief shepherd, the arch poyman, comes, you're found faithful. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We are created for glory. Sin has robbed us of that glory. And Christ is restoring that glory to us. And one of the ways he's doing so is by giving us godly rulers. So now let's move from the exhortations to the elders to the exhortations to the rest of us, the younger, the non-presbyteros. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Be subject, he says. Be subject. Hupatasso. Come underneath. Be subject to. Actively place yourself under the rule and care of the presbyteros, the elders. Peter commands you to voluntarily place yourself under the authority of your overseers. In other words, it's not the job of Tim and Joe and Steve to make sure you are being subject to them. It's your job to make sure you're being subject to them. That's the difference between domineering, lording over, and taking dominion. Peter says to clothe yourself with humility. Make humility what people see when they look at you. What do people see when they look at you? They see your clothing. Steve has a red tie. That's what I see when I see him today. He has a black suit on, a red tie. Has he clothed himself with humility, though? Do I see humility? Be humble even with people who are naturally, and don't take this the wrong way, who are naturally beneath you. Obviously, in every organization, in every organism like a church, there's going to be higher and lower educated people, wealthier and less wealthy people, uh, smarter and not as smart people, etc., etc. But Christ, through Peter, is saying to you, erase those through humility. Erase those distinctions through lowliness of heart. Consider the other better than yourself. Put on your clothes each day of humility. In the morning you wake up, you put on clothes, put on humility. Look in the mirror and say, okay, my, my tie is straight. Also straighten up your humility attitude for the day. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. You know what they call the mirror in the bathroom, right? The vanity. Remember that next time you look into the mirror and, and realize that's exactly what I don't want to be today is vain. I'm not looking in this mirror for vanity's sake. I'm looking in this mirror to humble myself. That doesn't mean don't brush your teeth or anything. Because you will be humiliated then, not humble. Here's a mental exercise. Daily, make a conscious decision to put away prideful thoughts and attitudes and replace them with humble thoughts and attitudes. Here's an easy way to do it, real practical now. Pray and read your Bible. Both of those acts are humble acts. What are you doing when you pray? You're becoming a supplicant to God. You're asking for something that you cannot do for yourself. You're a needy petitioner who's looking for the blessing and grace and the answer of your generous, beneficial father in heaven who can answer. Pray. Pray is a humbling act. Bible reading is the same thing. When you read the Bible, you're exposing yourself to all the humbling truth of God's word. The true nature of yourself is exposed to you as you read. Your sinfulness. The Bible is a sword that cuts and divides between joint and marrow and is a revealer of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
but also it shows you how to see yourself and how God sees you in Christ. So it's not all just crushing you day by day as you read. It's also building you up. Read the Psalms. What does David say all the time? God, be merciful to me in my righteousness. In my righteousness, he says. He's not very righteous, is he? We, ought, we have all these examples of his life where he's not righteous. But then he says in the psalm, as he's crying out to God in prayer, bless me in my righteousness. Be merciful to me in my righteousness. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Verse 6. six. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Why all this humility? Why all this humbleness? What's the goal? What's the telos of humility? What was the telos of Christ's humility? Glory. Glory. Greater glory. Exaltation is the goal of humility. Humility is not a permanent state for the believer. It's not the end goal of our worship or our personal discipline. It's a, it's a means to an end, and the end is exaltation. Ultimately, in God's kingdom, in the resurrection, but even in the, in the temporary time we live in now. Remember what Peter says to the elders, you're going to be getting an unfading crown of glory. That does, just doesn't happen in the by and by when we die. It happens now. There is a crown of glory that goes along with being a ruler in the church, a, a good ruler in the church, a humble ruler. Joe stood up here today and gave announcements and glorified me and glorified Joe, uh, Jeff in a, in a way by, by saying these are our esteemed guests today. That was very honorable. There is some honor in this job, Tim and Joe. Don't, don't fret. There is some honor. It's not all bad. But don't let that go to your head. Casting all your anxieties on him, God, because he cares for you. That's an often atomized verse, isn't it, that gets drawn out and there's no context with it. What's the context? What's the main anxiety that Peter is exhorting you to cast on Jesus or to cast on the Lord? It's this already not yet dichotomy of glory and humility. That's the main anxiety he's talking about. Lord, how long? Lord, how long am I going to be in this humble state? How long is this disease going to be racking my body? How long is this financial oppression going to be pressing me down and crushing me? How long is this sin going to be buffeting me? How long are you going to allow the devil to keep tempting me? How long, O oh Lord? Cast all your cares on him. He cares for you. Cast all your anxieties on him. He cares for you. And at the proper time, you will be exalted. Think of Jesus in the garden. Is he full of anxieties? Yes, he is. He's sweating tears. Uh, he's sweating drops of blood and crying out with tears to God, his father. And God exalts him. God answers his prayer. But not for the next 12 hours. He goes to the cross. And then after the ultimate humility, he's risen three days later and he's ascending on high now. We see him in his glory now. You got to go down to go up. But there are other anxieties too. Hence the word all. Cast all your anxieties on him. Cast all your cares on him. Questions you do not know the answer to. Situations in your life that are outside of your control. Fill in the blank. I don't know what your anxieties are. I'm not inside your head. I don't know your struggles. But I can tell you that Peter says, cast your anxieties on him. 
the Lord. And so maybe you're like me. When you hear something like that in the Bible, you say, okay, how? How do I cast my cares? I can't grab my, my anxieties out of my heart and throw them at Jesus. How do I do it? Tell your heavenly father. Tell him. Pray. Give them to him verbally, openly. And then leave there, leave them there with him, thankful that he is caring for you. But there is a broader context. That's a little bit of a mental exercise and a spiritual heart exercise. There's a practical way to do this too. Call your elder. Send him a text message. Here's my problem, pastor. Can you help me? I've got anxieties in my life. I've got cares in my life. I need to give them to somebody. You're God's man. You're the appointed, called person here in this congregation. Can you help me? Can you pray with me? Can you give me counsel? That's a casting of your cares. That's what these men are here for. They are your shepherds. They're called to serve. If you were a sheep, a literal sheep with wool on, it, on your body, and they were the actual shepherd, and you had a problem, where would you go as a dumb, stupid sheep? You would go to them. Or you would idiotically wander away and be destroyed by some lion or something, some wild beast. These are your shepherds. They're called to serve, feed, and protect you and guide you. They're experienced men who have lived through some of the things that you're probably experiencing right now and that's causing you all that heartburn. They're under shepherds. Even if they don't know or can't handle the problem that you're giving to them, they can then in turn go to God alongside you and on your behalf. That's called intercession. As James says, go to the elders. If you're sick, you can't heal yourself, go to the elders. They're going to anoint you and they're going to throw it up to God. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, James says. These men are righteous men. Give them these anxieties and cares. So now we've heard all that Peter has to say to us, to presbyteros and non-presbyteros, and now I think we have the, tool, the toolbox with which we can understand the phrase, resist the devil. Verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Be sober-minded. Don't think like a drunk person. How does a drunk person think? They're unaware of their surroundings. They're not cautious. Pain really doesn't affect them. Uh, I was going to tell a little story here. There, once I was, I was driving through the town I live in, Carbondale, and as I was driving through the middle of town where the drunk guys hang out and the drug addicts hang out, um, I just glanced to the side as I'm driving, and I saw what I thought was an old woman falling into a, 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 a bush, a set of bushes in that park. And I was like, oh, no, that woman's hurt. So I turned around my car real quick, parked, ran over there, and I realized when I got up to the person, it wasn't an old woman. It was a, it was a drunk man who had just very leathery skin uh, because he'd been in the sunlight so long. He was homeless. And I can't remember his name now. But I said, are you okay? He was just kind of laying on the ground. He was bleeding because he had cut his knee. And he's like, huh, what? And all of a sudden I realized, oh, yeah, he's drunk. He's really drunk. He had a bottle of, I don't know, something, some hard liquor, and it was almost empty. And uh, I said, you're bleeding really badly. His knee was, was scraped, and there was just blood everywhere. And he's like, uh, what, what? And he didn't even know he was bleeding. He didn't, there was no pain. And he looked down, and he went, <laughs> spit on his knee and rubbed it. And he was fine. 
he got up and he's like, oh, I'm all right. And he stumbled away. So I let him go. That's a drunk person. Don't be like that. Don't be unaware of your surroundings. Don't, be, uh, ca- don't throw caution to the wind as a drunk person does. Pain is a good thing. It tells you something. Satan is a roaring lion. The Bible mentions lions all the time. We don't really have them around anymore, do we? I don't think in Michigan. Do you guys have lions up here? In uh, southern Illinois, we might have a cougar every now and then, but very rare. That's kind of like a little bitty lion. Uh, So we don't really know what Peter's talking about much here. Wild lions don't roar and and roam about our our, our areas of the world. But lions are hungry predators, and they have teeth that can break your bones. They're kingly in some sense in the Bible, but they live in desolate places in the Bible. They're out in the, in the dry places, in the desert places. They don't drink much water. Neither do cats, by the way. Domesticated cats are, are kind of like little bitty lions. They kind of act like lions. They're above it all, you know. But that's a really bad, I mean, our, our vision of what a feline is is not, is not what Peter's talking about. Satan is a roaring lion. He's seeking someone and I take this to mean somebody like you all to devour. He's looking for weak, low-hanging fruit, easy prey. How do you become such prey? I think everything Peter has told us up to this point is going to help us from being easy prey for Satan. Defense against Satan starts by refusing to be rebellious, be subject to the elders. Refusing to be arrogant, be humble. Refusing to be a spiritual hermit. Oh, I don't need the church. I'll be okay at home. I can watch on Facebook. I don't need to be amongst those people. You're easy prey for the devil. Go watch a wildlife documentary, you know, uh, National Geographic about lions. And watch how they hunt. What do they do? You know this. They see the the herd of wildebeest, the, the herd of antelope. And they look and they say, okay, there's one. Let's chase all this herd. And then as the fast ones get ahead of the, the weak ones, we'll separate one out by kind of three of us corralling him out. And then we're going to attack and kill him. And we'll have our feast. They don't go after all the herd. They don't go after all the sheep. They pick and choose the weak ones, the easy fruit. It's easier to kill weak ones. I think Peter is saying Satan is the same way. He's looking for the weak ones among you, the ones who are prideful, the ones who are not attending a church, call themselves a Christian, but don't really like to be around Christians. The ones who just a little bit rebellious. They don't want to be told anything. They want to do their own thing. Those are the ones Satan wants to chase, wear down, and then pounce on. So resist the devil. How? Verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. How should we resist the devil then? Being firm in your belief and reliance on God is resisting the devil. Being mindful of the fact that there is no temptation taking you, but is such common to man. All your Christian brothers are being tempted in like manner. And pray that they might be able to resist Satan just as you are resisting Satan. Resist him. 
Do everything that he's led you to do up until this point where he said, resist Satan. He's giving you this whole backlog of ways to do it. Verse 10 and 11, and after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. This is the glory. This is the telos. Suffering for the Christian is always temporary. Suffering for the unbeliever is always eternal. Peter admits you're going to suffer. The whole book of 1 Peter is about suffering. He's acknowledging, yes, you're going to suffer in multiple ways, in various ways. Remember, it's temporary. There is a latter glory coming. There is a crown of glory unfading that's going to come for you. Remember that as you cast your cares on him. And also remember for the unbeliever, the one that doesn't have Christ, whatever little pleasures he has in this present time are temporary. And his sufferings are going to be eternal. Use that as a way of putting on humility. Talking and interacting with people who are unbelievers. God used suffering of Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, to establish him as the glorious one. He also used suffering in his body. You're going to suffer as well. Both elders and non-elders are going to suffer. So, what does all this mean? In God's economy, there are shepherds, and there are sheep, and there are predators. Steve and Tim and Joe have been called by God to shepherd you all. They take this responsibility willingly and without reservation. So men, I say to you, feed the flock. Help them to find good pasture in the word. Be men of integrity in your public and private lives. If you ever find yourself in a position of compromise or sin, willingly step aside. That's hard. It takes a humble man to do that. If you can no longer honestly obey Peter's exhortations here and the other places in the Bible that talk about elders, willingly step aside. Never forget that you have a chief shepherd to whom you will give an answer, as Hebrews 13 says. But remember also that Christ has a crown of glory for you. I think I told Tim the first conversation we had back six months ago. He asked, what is, what's the main, something like he asked, what's the main job of an elder and I said oh I've got the answer <laughs> it was an easy one the main job of an elder here I'll give it to all of you is to have hard conversations which I wasn't very good at when I was a younger man I'm getting better at it God gave me a man named Burke Shea to teach me how to have hard conversations and he was he was he was a sensei of hard conversations he was a guru of hard he still is he's not dead <laughs> That's the main job of an elder. What's the main tool of an elder? Your mouth, your words. Remember, you're not here to beat and whip and domineer everybody. You're here to speak like a shepherd speaks to sheep and says, come this way. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice and they know his voice, John 15, and they follow the shepherd. You hear the voice of Jesus and you repeat his words to those people, those sheep, and they follow you. 
And when they are not following, you have those hard conversations with them. That's my exhortation to you men who are elders here. Congregation, I have some for you now. You are the sheep of this fold. What is your responsibility? Faithfully, faithfully acknowledge and submit yourselves to these men, as you would even to Christ himself. They're his under-shepherds. Submit to these shepherds as you would the chief shepherd. Eat the food they feed you. Don't be like that little kid who's like, I don't like green beans, I'm not going to eat them. <laughs> you guys that have had a lot of children, you, you're probably experiencing this now. We experienced this in my, when my kids were younger. Eat the food they feed you. Don't be obstinate. Humble yourself. Well, that's not what I was wanting to hear today when I went to church. That's not the thing I needed to hear. No, it is. The chief shepherd called on these men to say those things to you. Obey them. Refusing to bite the hand that feeds you is really the big job of a sheep. And my friend Arnie Aben, whom I love dearly, his, his famous quote is what? Sheep bite. Elders, remember that. Sheep bite. Don't be sheep that bite. When the elders give you something, don't bite their hand. Eat what they give you. Be humble. Pride and arrogance is a classic way that Satan will use to try to get you alone, thinking that you're not in danger. Refuse to become easy prey for Satan by isolating yourself from the flock. If you have fears and anxieties, cast them on Jesus through the ministry of these men. Call them, text them, tell them your fears. Ask them to pray for you. They will do it gladly. I know that. As I've already said, James 5.16, the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man avails much. So all of you, both shepherd and sheep together, be sober-minded. Remember the times in which you live. Watch out for yourself and for one another. If you see someone straying, speak up. Warn them. Pray for them. Go to the elders and ask for help rescuing that wayward brother or sister. That's how you resist Satan. Remember that God is sovereign over all things, including the devil. He allowed the serpent into the garden, and he allows Satan to prowl around now in this world, taking captive the souls of men and women. What does that say about God's purposes for the world and for you? He wants you to feel the danger of Satan. He wants you to know that there is an enemy of your soul, so that you'll be quick then to take refuge in the chief shepherd. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's stand for prayer. Father, we're grateful for our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the one who has been crowned with all glory and honor. And as we submit ourselves to him, may we remember that we're called to submit ourselves to him in this present time by submitting ourselves to his under-shepherds. Give us the ability to do that. Grant these shepherds that we are now about to ordain the power and the humility and the knowledge and wisdom to rule well as Peter would have us do. We ask it in the name of Christ our Lord. And we pray now in
upon the kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ, who provided for his church officers who should rule in his name. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in every church, and Paul commanded that those who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and in teaching. In this passage, the scriptures distinguish between elders who labor particularly in the word and the doctrine, usually called ministers or pastors, and elders who join with the minister in the government and discipline of the church, generally called ruling elders. It is the duty and privilege of ruling elders in the name and by the authority of our ascended king to rule over particular churches and as servants of our great shepherd to care for his flock. Scripture enjoins them, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. As a consequence, ruling elders must be zealous in maintaining the purity of the ministry of the word and sacraments. They must conscientiously exercise discipline and uphold the good order and peace of the church. With love and humility, they should promote faithfulness on the part of both elders and deacons in the discharge of their duties. Moreover, they should have particular regard to the doctrine and conduct of the minister of the word in order that the church may be edified and may manifest itself as the pillar and ground of the truth. If they are to fulfill worthily so sacred an office, ruling elders must adorn sound doctrine by holy living, setting an example of godliness in all their relations with men. Let them walk with exemplary piety and diligently discharge the obligations of their office. And when the chief shepherd appears, they will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. been charged today to give you a charge, um, <laughs> and both the elders and the congregation. Um, it's interesting that all the texts that I chose to lay forth have already been talked about today, but that's fine. That's oftentimes what the Lord does with us. He repeats things over and over again to us, um, and obviously the Lord is giving you all and the elders, the new elders, um, and us old elders, <laughs> A charge as well and so we are to pay attention to it and so we're going to briefly look at what the scripture says about the responsibilities you have towards one another so first you have done the task of looking at the men of this congregation to see who might be qualified to serve as elder and so we've been doing that for the last year or so um, you've done and followed the advice that Jethro as as was previously mentioned um, we read a text um, that Jethro gave Moses in the wilderness when, for the entire flock of God, some two million of his people had just come out from Egypt. There was now only one shepherd over that entirety, one elder, if you will, Moses. And he was being dragged down, weighed down with the worries and the weight of having to shepherd that big flock. That was a mega church, let me tell you. And that was hard for not only him but the people as well and they were becoming weary of one another and so he was being dragged down weighed down with the worries of doing what was right for the people in the sight of God but it was too much and Moses father-in-law came to him and said this listen now to my voice Moses I will give you wise counsel and God will be with you stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God, and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk 
and the work that they must do, which is sort of the task of a pastor, right? To teach the statutes and the laws and to show them the way in which they must walk and the work that they must do. But the pastor needs the help to be effective as a shepherd. And to effectively shepherd and guide the flock, he needs some others with him. And so Jethro went on and said, Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men. And then he gives the qualifications of what he means by able men. Here are the qualifications such as fear God. Men who fear God, men of the peop- uh, men who fear God, men of truth, men who hate covetousness, and place such over them, the people, to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, fifties, and tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter that they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. Right? And so judge. Yes, because so much of what we do as elders is to, as Micah said, do justice. Right? To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. And so we are to serve justice. Oftentimes it involves saying the hard things, doing the hard conversations, and we have to act justly. And so we cannot be taking uh, a bribe. We cannot be doing those things. We, could, we walk humbly with our God. Very, very similar to everything that we've heard today already. And so it will be easier for you, says Jethro to Moses, for they will bear the burden with you. And that is exactly what is going on um, here today. Um, Pastor Hemmeke is now going to be able to bear the burden with those who are with him. Elders are bearing the burden together with their fellow elder and pastor, and it isn't always easy. Sheep bite, as we've heard. Um, Sheep don't always get along. And uh, sometimes if you, we have sheep, and so you see sheep out there, and they're butting heads with each other. And sometimes even dumb ones butt like fence posts and things like that and get a little bloody and so forth. Sheep don't always get along, and they do dumb things. And... They don't always agree with one another. And shepherds, elders, often need to step in and guide and do justice in the midst of all of that. And so you want one with wisdom. You want elders with wisdom to do this task, right? Right? If you do this thing, Jethro says, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure and all this people will also go to their place in peace. All right? So you have done that task. You have identified Joe and Tim as these type of men to do this work alongside Pastor Hemmeke, and that is now their charge. And Peter gives a charge to the elders, as we have heard already in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. But I'll just say a few things about this as well. So the elders who are among you, I exhort, I, who am a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, here's this charge. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Gentlemen, brothers, you are called, Tim, Joe, you are called to shepherd the flock. That is to lead them to the green pastures and the cool waters of God's word. To guide them, to watch out for them, to do what's best for them. To look at the great shepherd, Jesus, to hear him and then to imitate him as well. And so you serve as overseers to watch over, to supervise, to pay attention to, to instruct with God's word, to give wisdom as is needed. And then it says, not by compulsion, but willingly. 
to, to do this task, not in a way that you feel forced into it, but to do so willingly, like how we are called to give our tithe, right? Willingly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so Tim and Joe, you are to be cheerful givers. That's how you are to give of yourself to the flock. Understanding that sometimes you do it just, for, just because it is your duty. Sometimes it is just do your duty. And we're people. We, we wear out. We get tired sometimes. And sometimes it is just our duty. But don't stay there. Right? Give willingly, lovingly, hopefully. Be gospel, good news oriented. And don't do that for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Back to what Jethro advised. Understand you're not in this work for the money, as has already been said today. Serve eagerly. Nonetheless, it is God's task. And then he goes on, Peter goes on, nor is being lords over those entrusted to you. Don't use your position to control and to be controlling. Don't be heavy-handed, but rather being examples to the flocks. That's what you're called to, is to be an example to the flock. And so be examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, isn't that a great promise to shepherds? You can take comfort in that. That is, elders who rule well. You will receive a crown of glory when Jesus appears, when you do your task of shepherding the people according to God's word. Now, finally, to the congregation, the author of Hebrews says this to you. In Hebrews 13, 7 and 13. So I'm going to talk, look briefly at verse 7 first. Remember those who rule over you. Okay, Congregation, you are called to remember those who rule over you who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Right? You are to remember those who are over you. Right? To give of yourselves to them. To encourage them, for they have had this task of speaking and applying and feeding you the word of God. And so respect them and honor them in that. These men who act and rule by faith, they're doing it, in your stead, they're doing it for you to help you as we struggle through life. Such faith that they have, follow their example. And then he says in verse 17, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Right? Obey is a word we don't like to hear in our day. Submit is not a word that we like to use, but it is a biblical word. And a faithful word. There will be times when your elders will tell you and direct you to do something you may not like. That you may not 100% agree with. But as long as they are not asking you to sin, then you are to obey them. You are to obey them. We often talk about what submission is. In, in our congregation, a lot of times we think that submission is agreement. Right? Submission is agreement. As long as I agree with someone, then I'll submit to him. Right? I'll do what he says. But that's only agreement. That's not submission. Submission is the harder thing, right? When he says something, and then you may not quite 100% agree with it, but you do it anyways because that's what's right. Right? And I'm not talking about sin. Don't, don't mishear me, okay? So, but don't just agree and then only submit then. Trust your elders. That comes down to trust. Trusting your elders that they have what is best in mind for you. For they watch out for your souls, the text says. They're guarding your souls. 
And if they do so poorly, sinfully, they must give an account for themselves. But they also must give an account to the chief shepherd for you. Right? How are you doing? How are you playing with the other sheep? Are you playing with the other sheep well? Are you staying within the bounds? That is the fence of God's law. Or are you a wandering sheep? Do you always struggle with the other sheep? Do you get tangled up in the fences? Right? Then you are charged to let those who rule over you to do so with joy and not with grief. You are called to bring joy to your shepherds. You know what that means? You know what that means? Don't bring grief to them by doing what I just said. <laughs> Don't butt heads. Don't get yourself bloody with a fence post. Don't get tangled up in the fences. Right? Don't bring grief to them but submit to them, get along together, worship God together, love one another according to God's word. Don't try to stray out of a bounds, because when you do that, it is not profitable for you. Right? For you. Here's the sum of the matter. Follow Jesus, keep his word, love one another, serve each other, be humble with one another and with your elders, and the peace, God of peace will be with you. Amen. Believe it or not, I had this prepared. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Here at the Lord's table, the Lord is the unseen host, the ultimate provider of this grace. Jesus, the great shepherd, prepares a table for us. He's the one who leads us by still waters. But Jesus has also provided visible under-shepherds, among you too. Men whose call is to shepherd you like Jesus does. Men whose call is to make you lie down in green gospel pastures, to restore your soul, to lead you in paths of righteousness, to walk with you through dark valleys, to point us to the goodness and the mercy of God, his promise that we will dwell in God's house forever. That's why he gives us a table every week. He wants us to visibly glimpse the reality of his promise. If he's feeding you, he's here with you. You are his loved child. And he will have you embraced in his house forever. These are gifts of God 
for the people of God. As we come to the Lord's table, we invite you, all those who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. As we're eating the bread and drinking the wine, we're acknowledging that we are sinners without hope except in God's sovereign mercy, that we're trusting in Christ alone for salvation. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.